text has been read this morning in the scripture reading, and uh, so often when you try to choose a title for a message, it's very difficult to do. Uh, officially, in my notes, this says Joseph's sanctification, but uh, that's a broad subject. That's like the little fifth grade boy who had to choose a, a topic to write his uh, term paper, and he chose the history of the world. That's a little difficult to do in, in, a, in a, a sermon to talk about the sanctification of Jacob, although we will touch upon that. But I think more appropriately, it would be called Jacob's prayer. This is one of the truly great prayers of the Bible. We see Jacob wrestling with the Lord. What, what constitutes true heaven-heard prayer? All of us are gathered today in a house of prayer. The Lord's Word says, My house should be called a house of prayer. Is it? What is true, heartfelt, faith-believing, heaven-sent, praying that is expected to have answers to? Well, Jacob's prayer gives us a picture of that, a pattern that we can emulate in our own lives. Aren't you glad that the Lord has given us illustrations, both human and through his word, to show us what he means? Let's ask the Lord again to bless us. Gracious Heavenly Father, and you are so gracious, we thank you for this privilege of addressing the God of ages, the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And we, as your creation, come We have lent our voice to express our hearts and our vocal praise. And now we come to the preaching of your word, the unfolding of your word. Lord, I realize that I am not sufficient of anything of myself to think anything is of myself, that my sufficiency is of God. Lord, I'm unworthy to stand in this place, and yet you've called me and placed me here as the pastor of this beloved church. And this scripture is our portion today. It is the manna that you have for us as we have faithfully studied through the book of Genesis. And so we believe in the sovereignty of God and your divine appointments. And so this portion is for us. We believe that there are those here who need to hear the gospel. Would you assist me, Lord, to proclaim it and to tell it clear and plain? Oh, Spirit of God, we pray that you would not be grieved in our midst. May nothing hinder your blessing. And you're using the sword of the Spirit to do surgery on every heart. Lord, we pray that you would move among us and teach us and help us and bless your people today. We ask it in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. God has told Jacob to go back home. He has a clear command to return after 20 years of being away. That in itself would be a hard thing to do especially Jacob knowing uh, what he will have to go through to get there, the crossing of his brother, the seeing of his brother again. Genesis 31, verse 3, God says, Return into the land of thy fathers, and go to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Jacob met the Lord in salvation back at Bethel, and now he is going to have to learn the lessons of submission and sanctification. Sanctification is that process of a person who's been saved where the Lord takes his word and his spirit and deals with our sin, teaches us obedience, and conforms us to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I could tell you there was some other way, and yet really I don't because God's ways are best. But I will tell you this, that God tirelessly works in the lives of his own to conform them to his, the image of his son. Twenty long years have passed. And verse 1 tells us that, that Jacob meets angels on his way back home. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is confirming to, uh, jo- to jo- Jacob that he was in the will of God. Don't you know he's fearful? Don't you know he has many questions? He wonders what's ahead of him. He's fearful of his brother. And the Lord, the Lord has sent his spirit to help us, to conform us to the likeness of our Lord. He uses people. He uses circumstances. But most of all, he uses God's word and prayer. We'll see these elements in Jacob's experience here this morning to perfect us. His long-suffering towards us, all of us would have to testify to that, wouldn't we, today, that God has been so patient with us in this process. Uh, I'm uh, coming up on an anniversary. I was saved in April of 1973 as a young boy. 
My father had just passed away. My life was as a teenager. There was all kinds of things going on. And I often think back and, and think if I had not heard the gospel and responded just when I did, uh, what would become, what would have happened to me? Don't you often think the path you were on, you know where you were when you were saved, and what would have happened had the Lord not reached you when he did? And I, I think of the Lord's grace toward me and his long-suffering in the sanctification process of bringing me to where I am today. And there's a long way to go between now and being awaking in his likeness. But the Bible tells us this. What a glorious promise in Romans chapter 8 in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth in our infirmities. Aren't you glad that he helps us in our weaknesses? For we know not how we, what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here God shows Jacob in a very real way that he is with him and that he will protect him by sending him, can you imagine, an angelic escort all the way back home. Now, what Jacob didn't know, he'd already had this angelic help all along the way. God just lifted the veil of the unseen for him to, to see it. And here he knows that God has protected him already on the way. He's not scared, but he's amazed when he meets these angelic hosts. They'd been with him all the way up till now, protecting him from Laban's wrath. Who could have protected him from the wrath of Laban when he caught up with him, when he accused Jacob of stealing his daughters and stealing the grandchildren and stealing his livestock? Laban is upset when he sees Jacob, but the, the Lord says, leave him alone. Don't say one thing or the other to him. Speak neither good nor ill to him. The restraining grace of God, the angelic host that kept Laban and his host from overtaking Jacob. Here he sees the host from heaven all about him. What an amazing thing. And God shows Jacob that the reason that Laban didn't overtake him by force and take his daughters and his granddaughters and all of his livestock back because the host of heaven stopped him. And if the Lord were to roll back the veil of the unseen, we would be amazed at what all he does for us moment by moment, watching over us, keeping us, leading us, and guiding us. And Jacob was overwhelmed by it. This, for me, God does this for all of his children. Are not his angels sent forth, the writer of Hebrews tells us, as ministering spirits? They go to do God's will. And though we, we may live a whole lifetime and never really know, we know they're there. And we've heard testimony down through the ages of those in unusual ways who've been protected by the Lord. This we know, the Lord's host encamps around about us. It's described in some places as a wall of fire about us on every side. The protecting power, the, the Shekinah glory of the Lord was before and behind the children of Israel. What kept Pharaoh's armies at bay as that over a million people crossed the Red Sea. That was not a, a quick, fast uh, crossing. They had old people and young people. They were dragging things. They had carts. They had uh, trowels and, and hoes and, and things they'd borrowed from the Egyptians. And what kept the mighty uh, Egyptian host with uh, chariots away from the children of Israel? The God, the God put an invisible force between Pharaoh and his armies until the last feeble Israelite was over the Red Sea. Isn't that amazing? And then at just the right time, the Lord's power and might drowned them in the mighty host and the mighty water. They had something to sing about when they sang Moses' hymn of praise on the other side. So Jacob calls the place Menahem or two hosts. It seemed to Jacob that there was a host of angels behind him and before him. And Jacob is on the path of obedience, obeying God's word, following the Lord's leading. So God favors him with this unusual revelation of peace and assurance. Jacob, I'm with you. It's as if the Lord is saying, haven't I brought you this far? Haven't I heard and answered prayer? Could the church testify to that this morning? Is there anybody who can say the Lord hasn't heard a single prayer of mine? If not, you need to fall on your face before him and repent and ask him to save you. But the saved know 
no matter where you are, what your circumstances have been, the Lord has answered prayer. Hitherto, the Lord has helped us. We ought to all be raising stones of remembrance here today and said, here's our Ebenezer. Oh, he heard me here. He heard the cry of repentance. He's, he's helped me and guided me every day to this very hour. Oh, if we would give just a testimony service here of answered prayer, we'd be here from now on, wouldn't we? And so he sees that the Lord favors him with this unusual revelation to build his faith and to give him the courage to meet Esau up ahead. Now, you notice that God doesn't always keep us back from uncomfortable situations. Jacob's got to meet his brother Esau. It's an unclosed chapter of his life. And however we look at Jacob's uh, scheming and conniving to get the birthright. We know it was the Lord's will for Jacob to have it. How Jacob handled the situation leaves much to be desired. He is not right in using trickery to do the Lord's work, but we've been there and discussed that. All we can say is here, though, that the Lord requires his people to do the right thing about their issues in life. He's got to meet his brother again. If nothing else, this is for Jacob's sake. Jacob would spend the rest of his life with that upon him. But aren't you glad that the Lord, and we're glad for Jacob, I'm sure Jacob is glad that the Lord allowed them to to be reconciled. And they joined together to to bury their father. And the the Bible shows us that that the Lord was very gracious in all that. Esau is up ahead, and Jacob needs grace. And I want you to know there are circumstances in your life, maybe not just like that, but just as unbearable, just as unpalatable, and you need God's grace, and I need God's grace. And all throughout our Christian life, all throughout this process of sanctification where He's molding us into the image of His Son, we will be tested. Here's a test. Don't you hate tests? I never met a test that I liked. I never took one that I liked in school, even when I was prepared, the whole process. I just hated it. And, you know, no matter if it was uh, written or oral or whatever the test was, I never met a test that I liked unless it was already the answers already filled in and a, and a hundred put on it. And I never had one like that. Even those open book tests, they were the hardest ones of all, weren't they? You knew it was a trick. You knew the teacher was going to hide you, hold you by a higher standard. You had the book in front of you, she'd say. I let you use your notebook, and so you're just, you know, in fear and trembling. But there are tests all the way from here to glory. You need to know that. You never reach a point where you go, shh. Now, we've got students here from up north Alabama. We've got some students from Judson here. So good to see you ladies back there once again. It's college students all over the place, high school students. I asked a, a college student just recently from Crown College, Joy here, uh, Jonathan's niece, uh, when's graduation? May the 4th. She said it before I could even get the question out. She's already practiced receiving that diploma. She's already on the mission field or wherever the Lord has her. She's there. But I want you to know that just walking across that stage, girls and gentlemen, and those who are waiting for uh, graduation, that's just the beginning. It's called, you know what it's called? It's not called ending ceremony. It's commencement exercises. It's the beginning of the real tests to put all that you've learned into practice. And so it is in the Christian life. One test after another. Well, Pastor, I came here to get encouragement today. You've shot me back to high school and college. I've broken out in hives, and now, you know, we've come for help today. But that's what we're trying to see. This life before us is one that will help us. These tests are unavoidable. Job said, the Lord knoweth the way that I take. And he goes on to say, as he describes all those tests that he went through, many such things are with him. I've got all kinds of more. You'd think that Jacob, Job could breathe a sigh of relief and he's gone through all that. Surely he wouldn't have to go through anything else. Job fully expected to go through even greater tests or different kinds of tests until he awoke in glory. There's no other way to grow our faith. There's, there's no other way to purge us from leaning on the arm of flesh because we just will go over and over and over again to try to work things out ourselves, go by leaning on our own understanding, the way that seems right, even for the children of God, unless the Lord designed a test just to show us, no, you can't do that. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're not yours. You're mine. You will do as I say. You will take me at my word. We cannot lean on our feelings. Our feelings are so fickle. Now, most of you have a smile on your face today, and I attribute it to a large degree by the glorious sunshine that's shining outside. 
we've had European weather the last few days, gloomy and uh, rainy and wet. And, and will we ever see sunlight? That alone will change your whole mood. You're dancing a jig. You've all, you're already buying, buying plants from Walmart to plant out in the, the outside the front door. You're just so excited about the sunshine. But our feelings are just that, aren't they? Feelings. They change. They'll change in a New York minute. You've heard me often say, if you went outside this morning and had four flat tires... I don't care how happy you are right now. I don't care how bright the sun is shining. Your feelings would go down the tubes just like that, wouldn't they? Four flat tires. Who did such a thing? What happened? And your mood would change in a second. And so our sanctification is not based on feelings. You're not saved today because you feel saved. Our salvation is based on the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. And it doesn't matter how you feel about the test you're going through. God will bring you through it, through many dangers, toils, and snares. We have already come. But grace, grace will lead us all the way home, won't it? And so along the way, the path that God has chosen for us, there's no other way to teach us than the one he's got you on right now. Now, I'm convinced, or I wouldn't be standing here this morning, that if God could get Chris Lamb to heaven any other way than the path he's taking me on, he would get me there. But he saved me, and he's kept me on this path. Hitherto the Lord has led me. We're on the path of his leading, and he's going to relentlessly work on me in this lane in my race that I'm in until he gets me home to heaven. Along the way, we must expect tests, circumstances, things, issues, however you want to describe it, situations. You may say, how are you doing today? Well, I've got this situation. That situation may have a face. It may be a circumstance. It may be a broken car. It may be a job. It may be all kinds of things. We use different ways to describe these tests, but God will use these things to conform us to the image of our Savior. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, I'm so glad I've learned to trust him, the song says. Jesus, Savior, precious friend, oh, for grace. He proves us, and through that proving, we prove him to be the Savior he said he would be. This is not just theoretical. It is theology, but it's not just theology. It is doctrine, but it's not something in a book that is not real and can't be lived out and laid hold on by faith. Now, another test lies before Jacob. Now, Jacob has been through the mill. He met his match with Laban, didn't he? What a father-in-law. Can you imagine having an in-law like Laban? Well, we won't go there. You might can top that. But I don't, I don't want to have a testimony about in-laws today. I am one, so we'll just leave it right there. We want to be good ones, don't we? But just think about it. You know, the Bible has a principle that says whatever measure you measure out will be measured back to you again. And Jacob's got to learn these spiritual laws. God's not going to bypass his spiritual laws for Jacob. And so he met his match in Laban. Over and over again, Laban lied to him, didn't he? Schemed and connived and tricked him. Jacob, we don't live by scheming, do we? Faith is not living by scheming. And even Jacob has to learn this. Chosen of God, blessed of God. He's the heir of the promises of God. Do we not say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Sometimes we want to leave Jacob off. You can't leave him out of that trio. He's welded into the trio of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Aren't you glad he's there, though? Because when we look at our own testimony, we might say, well, sure, Abraham and Isaac, but, but they're, they're of another world, another time, and they were cut out of something different from us. And then there's Jacob. Oh, okay, I can identify with Jacob. I might not, could with a godly Abraham, leave everything, and I might not could meet the test of, of, of giving my own son's life on the altar of sacrifice. That's Abraham. If it was just the God of Abraham, we might have problem identifying with it that God but the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob now Jacob we know don't we Jacob we live with Jacob we shave his face and and wash his hair we know Jacob now this test he must come face to face with Esau I bet you that Jacob would rather have to go back and deal with Laban all over again than meet Esau 
Who wants to meet Esau? Remember Esau? Remember how Esau's been done? <laughs> That's not even good English, but you know what I mean. Good grammar. He has been, uh, he, he's got an axe to grind. Someone has said that Esau must have really been mad because, do you remember what Rachel told Jacob? You go to my people for, for a little while, and when your brother, I'm paraphrasing here, when he calms down, I'll send for you and you come back home. Twenty years later, she still hasn't sent for him. I'm sure that every time Esau came to dinner at Isaac and his mother's house, he said, if I ever get my hands on Jacob, I will take him apart piece by piece. There won't be enough left of him for the birds to feed upon. Can you imagine the threatenings that came out of Esau's lying to me and tricking me out of my birthright? She never did sin for him, did she? And no doubt Esau threatened revenge if he ever got his hands on Jacob. Jacob is facing what some of you are today. You're facing absolute uncertainty. The question mark is so big. The blank is so long. You can't fill it in. There is a a question mark of uncertainty across your path, just like Jacob's. Uncertainty, at least humanly speaking. But I want you to know when there's uncertainty with us, God knows the end from the beginning. Aren't you glad? He knows where Esau is. He's got his hand on Esau just like he has it on Jacob. Isn't that a good thing to know today? He doesn't know the status of his parents' health. Jacob doesn't. And he doesn't know quite what to expect from Esau. But he's justified in thinking the worst. All he has, and I hate to say it that way, but it's the word of God. Jacob, go back home. I'm with you. Do you know that all you have right now is the word of God? The great amens of God's word. Your soul is resting upon it. If you get to heaven, if I get to heaven, it'll be because of what God's word says. This world is a shifting sand. If the foundations be destroyed and they are being destroyed in our very presence, what can the righteous do? If you're looking to Washington or the United Nations or to anything else, this world is dissembling before our very eyes. The foundations of morality and the home and those things precious and dear. We live in fearful days, dark days, the latter days. The word of God is all he has to go back home. And so he he lives up to the light and the truth that he knows. He doesn't know how Esau is going to respond. He doesn't know the answers to all those questions. All he does know is God's told me to go back and I better do that. Now, a disobedient uh, child of God would do like Jonah. No, don't think I will. Thank you very much. But I'll just take my chances and go my own way. Foolish, stupid thing to do. A whale is worse than the Ninevites. Uh, the, what, the, 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 the path that you're going to take opposite of what God has revealed to you is much worse than go ahead and meeting Esau, whatever Esau does. You see, when you reason like that, you're reasoning God out of the equation. Please don't do that. When we think about these uncertainties and these tests and things that are beyond our control, God has it all in his hands. We're to trust him and to obey him. God's children have testified down through the ages that God has helped them and protected them in amazing ways. We alluded to the angels before, which are just an aside. Some people would camp out and preach about the angels. The angels are mysterious ones. All we know is what the scripture tells us. They're messengers. They do God's will. They do it completely, obediently, immediately. And they're sent to minister to his church and to help us in ways that we don't fully understand. Hebrews 1.14 describes them as ministering angels sent forth to minister to them who shall be the heirs of salvation. Well, he must think a whole lot of us to have a whole host of angels to minister to us. Because we're the ones that are heirs of salvation, not them. I've read of John Wesley who spent 52 years in evangelistic work. And he rode a horse everywhere he went, from meeting to meeting. Probably no man other than George Whitfield has preached to more thousands of people than John Wesley. And he would do it often by himself. In that day, it was unthinkable to travel from one town in London to another on the the highways and the byways without protection. No stagecoach went without armed guards. And if you went anywhere, you better make sure you went with other people because highwaymen and robbers lay in wait every inch of the way to overcome travelers and to steal their possessions. One day, John Wesley was going to to preach a meeting, and uh, he looked ahead. He was by himself, 
And he would often read and study as he rode. It says he, he read more than most other people would have on purpose, just writing as he went from one place to the other. He always had a book or his Bible, and he was reading. But he looked ahead, and he saw some shadowy figures in the hedgerow, and he knew that, that that's what they were. They were highwaymen. And he cried out to the Lord. He could not turn around, would not turn around. And all of a sudden, by Wesley's testimony, you can read it in Wesley's journals, his own journals, that a, a horse came clopping up behind him. He heard the, the hooves, and all of a sudden this rider came up on a black horse right beside him. And uh, he greeted him, and they rode along for a way, and they passed where the, the robbers, the liars in wait in the darkness were there, and they went on down the road. And John Wesley said he turned around to thank the man, and he was gone just like that. He was convinced that the angel of the Lord came and helped him and protected him. Well, whether he did or not, he used that to help him get through that situation. The Lord uses all kinds of circumstances to help us along our way, doesn't he? The Lord himself is with me, is what Paul testified. What a powerful statement. There in a horrible, moldy dungeon. No one stood with me, Paul said, speaking of human. To me, the saddest picture in all the world. The, the greatest apostle the one who the Holy Spirit allowed to write most of the New Testament, how he'd gone and labored and stayed up all night counseling and preaching with people, helping them, establishing churches, and yet when his day came, no man stood with me. Some of you are in a lonely place. You've been forsaken by those near to you. You feel very alone. I hope you'll use as the verse the Apostle Paul said, the Lord is with me. What else do you need? If 10,000 people were outside cheering and the Lord wasn't with you, what difference would it make? But if the Lord is with you and no person spits in your direction, the Lord is on your side. The Lord is with us. And we must testify to that. The Lord here confirmed to Jacob that he was in his will. Hebrews thirteen five says, He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what the Lord, or what man shall do unto me. What we have next is Jacob's prayer. That's just the introduction. Now we need to get to Jacob's prayer. And it's the most important thing, but we will hasten. I will not keep you long. Jacob's prayer. It's one of the first prayers recorded for us in the Bible. It's one of the greatest prayers, I think, in all the Scripture. Now, you may take exception to it. Look there in verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth." That which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Are you worthy of the truth that you know today when so many people don't know a word of Scripture, a teaching of the Scripture? Lord, I'm not worthy that you showed it to me. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands, two hosts of people. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. He tells the Lord his brother's name. He's very specific. Esau is his name. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. We learn much from here, I think, as our pattern of prayer. Remember that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning and our admonition that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And so this is our portion today. Humanly speaking, Jacob is up against a wall, isn't he? He's got to go forward. He's got to meet his brother. He doesn't know how he'll be received. He doesn't know what's ahead of him, so he prays. Now, I haven't gone into the detail of Jacob's planning, but we see his planning. He has divided up his family in groups. You go, and then you go, and then you go, and then I'll go back here. That was the military way of that day of, of conquering an enemy. Or if the first group was overcome, the second one could send a word back. And so it was a divide-and-conquer kind of thing. It was human reasoning. It was not cowardly. Some have talked about Jacob being cowardly. But this was the way it was done. He's doing it in a military way. He has a plan. The point is is our plans won't matter a hill of beans if the Lord is not with us. We plan first and then we pray. That's what Jacob did. Oh, he planned, you do this, you give him this gift. He'll certainly, even Esau will be impressed by these gifts. Look at all this stuff I've given him. A gift after all, a gift in secret pacifies anger. He's got it all planned out. 
And some of you have the same thing. Oh, you know what you're going to do July the 10th, 2022. You've got it planned out for the next 100 years, except, and we might say that planning is well, but planning without the Lord. You see, Jacob needs to know that prayer comes first. Could you learn that lesson with me today? That first we pray, and then we ask the Lord for the plan. Our praying reveals what we are, what we believe, and so much more about us. The Proverbs teach us it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. But we just reverse it, don't we? I've got a need. Let me go. Who do I know that can help me with this? That's the way we think. Who can meet this need? And our needs here, I always try to tell our staff and our, and our people here and you that we look to the Lord. The Lord will use people to help us meet our needs, but we never depend on this one or that one to follow through. You see, planning is important, but prayer is most important. There's much here in this chapter that we can learn from Jacob's experience, but I want us to learn several lessons about his praying and as Charles Spurgeon, in his inimitable way on this portion of Scripture, he says, if we go at once to the Lord our God, we go to infinite wisdom. And we may expect to be girded aright through all the difficulties of our way. Prayer, my brethren, must be our first resource. Or if it is also the last, let it be the first and the last. Let us not merely go to God's door because we've tried everybody else's door and failed. Let us not go to the fountain simply because the cisterns are, are exhausted, but let us go to our God first, foremost, and let us say, even if earth's cisterns did contain water, we would not forsake our God for them. And if all the forces of our fellow creatures were as real and powerful as they profess to be, we would still lean upon the arm that bears up the whole universe, the unseen arm of our faithful Creator. Notice, first of all, how simply Jacob prays. I mean, he doesn't go through some rigmarole. He just goes to the Lord quickly and simply, Lord, deliver me from my brother. By the way, his name is Esau. How clear to the point Jacob is. It's not some flowery dissertation of doctrinal issues, issuing forth or something he's read from a theological book. You know, Paul Apostle Paul teaches us, be careful, don't be full or overcome with care for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your minds and hearts through Christ Jesus. Here Jacob simply says, Lord... I have a father. I have a heavenly father. You're my heavenly father. Oh, God, look there in verse 9 of my father Abraham and of my father Isaac. Now, he's calling to the Lord, you brought me here. You have made covenants with my father and grandfather and with me. And I'm the one through whom the covenant is supposed. How bold is that? Jacob, what is he doing? He's praying the word of God. Is it true what he's saying? Every word of it is true. You're the God who's made a covenant with us. What he's really saying is, God, you've got to fulfill this. And I'm asking you to fulfill it. And Lord, by the way, I have a problem, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have a problem. Who are you going to tell your problems to if you can't spread it out before the Lord? I have a problem. It's my brother, Esau. He's going to kill me if he can. He's going to harm me if he can in my family and get revenge. You've told me to go back to Canaan. I've got a problem. I'm in your will. And I've got to meet Esau. You've told me to go back to Canaan and that you will deal well with me. That's a promise, isn't it? God said, I will deal well with you and I will help you. And we see there in verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Notice not only is he simply, just to the point, but we notice in real prayer, there's always genuine confession. And Jacob needed to confess. He isn't worthy, is he? I can see that. I know enough to know Jacob is not worthy. And I know enough to know that Chris Lamb is not worthy to pray either. Who am I to ask the God who spoke the worlds into existence to help me with a problem I have? How would I be audacious enough to ask him? Because, my friend, I'm standing on holy ground. I'm standing in the great line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's my God. I'm in the covenant of grace. It is by grace he has saved me. I can fully expect to go before my father and ask for my needs. 
I knew I could always go to John Lamb and ask him what I needed. There's all kinds of men on our street, businessmen. There was a baker across the street, other people. But when I had something I really needed, I didn't go to them. I went to my daddy. And I went to him on the basis that I was his son. And I just told him about it. We should get to the point. We should name our sin if there's sin. And and if you don't know if there's any sin, ask him and he'll show you if there's sin. We always come repenting, confessing, calling it what God calls it. If your sin is lying, Lord, I've lied today. I know I need to get that straightened up as I come to you in prayer. Do you see how simple this is? Lord, cleanse me. You said if I confess my sin and forsake my sin, that you'll, I name it, I call it what you call it, and now I've got a problem, Lord. I'm coming asking for your help. Search me, O God, and know my heart and try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way. If we confess our sins, what a promise. He's faithful and just. And so, Jake, I'm not worthy to be asking you what I'm asking you for today. But I have no one else to go to. There's no power on earth. There's no one I can go to but you. You don't have to look up in a commentary or a prayer book for this kind of praying, do you? You don't have to go to a prayer conference to call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look in the Bible. See how they prayed. Pray like Jacob prayed. Take this home and work on it and use it as your pattern and ask God to help you. Jacob confesses his unworthiness And we see that God answers his earnest plea. You see, God knows the heart. He sees right down to the heart of the matter. God only deals in truth or honesty. We can't pull the wool over his eyes. We can't act like we're something that we're not. We can't, like, remember the hypocrite in the temple that told God how good he was and how how glad he ought to be to have him? God didn't hear his. Who went home justified? The man that says, Lord, I'm not worthy to be in this place. I'm not worthy to stand here and ask for your grace. But I'm a sinner, and he beat his chest. There was no emotional outburst. He f- fully felt that. And the Bible, the Lord tells us that man went home justified. Third, we see that Jacob's prayer was not only simple and confessed sin, but we see how honest it was and how filled with humility it is. Humility is the opposite of pride or self-righteousness. Again, Spurgeon says, if you even hint that there's any worthiness in yourself, the power of your prayer is already destroyed. But if you plead your own unworthiness, you will then be standing where the publican stood when he cried, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know how he went down to his house justified. That rather than the Pharisee who fasted twice a week and gave tithes of all he possessed, it was not like other men, especially the publican. In that way, he destroyed any power that his prayer might have otherwise possessed. The self-conceit tore the chariot wheels from his prayer so that it dragged heavily and soon could not move even an inch. Think about prayer as being a chariot and our pride taking the wheels off of it. How far are you going to go in that? We then throw ourselves on God's mercy. What else are you going to do? You don't have any other resources. You can't change Esau's mind, can you? Is there anything Jacob could do that would, that would help... That little gift he's sending is not going to help Jacob, uh, Esau's feelings toward him. It's going to take something more than a few cows and goats and pigs and whatever else he has. He wouldn't have had pigs, would he? <laughs> Erase the last part of that. But whatever is in that entourage of animals, that wasn't going... That, it, it, didn't, it didn't equal up to a birthright that had been stolen from Jacob. Fourth, we notice that Jacob praised God's word. Lord, you said... He told God what he'd said. All real prayer seizes the promises of God and quotes them back to him. You said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're seeking salvation this morning on the authority of God's word, I'll tell you, seize that verse, if nothing else. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're telling the Lord what he said he will do, and he'll answer that kind of prayer. There might be someone here this morning who said, can I be saved? You claim that verse. You go to the Savior and see if he won't save you. He's full of mercy and grace and compassion. Lord, you promised. How else will we know what to ask for if we didn't quote his verses back to him? If we don't pray God's word, we won't be praying his will. And the Lord never answers anything that's not his will. But when I know his word and I claim a promise, Lord, you have said, thou hast said. We see it over and over again throughout the scripture. He mentions the covenant-making God. Oh, my God of my father Abraham and of my father Isaac. That's recalling the covenant. God has to fulfill that covenant. 
So he's got to help Esau not knock him in the head. Because if he does, the covenant won't be brought to pass. This covenant was handed down from God sovereignly and graciously. Lord, you've boldly pledged yourself to be our God and to give us these promises. And I'm the grandson of Abraham and I stand in the covenantal line. Do you know your praying is no less authoritative? You stand in the covenantal line of the, the covenant of grace that God made from our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's for his sake that he saved us. In his mercy, the Lord has covenanted for Jesus' sake to be gracious to us and to forgive us of our sin and to lead us and guide us. Notice the promise Jacob gives back to the Lord. You said to me, return to your homeland. Lord, I'm doing what you told me to do. Can't we ask for God's safety and blessing if, he's, if we're doing what he tells us to do? If God told John Wesley to go preach to those people, he had every right to say, Lord, you've got to get me there. You've got to protect me. Whatever means you want to choose, but I'm calling it, I'm doing what you said to do. Now will you meet my need? Every one of God's children can pray that way. That's not presumption. That's faith laying hold on the promises of God. If you come confessing sin, not a person in this room, if you repent of your sin, that God will hear you. If you come confessing sin, repenting of sin, and you're in the place of duty, the place where God has told you to be, you can claim his promises to hear and answer prayer. To the unsaved, let me just say here this morning, in this room, and those listening, there are people who are not saved. You can use this word that promises to save. And I've already quoted, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Lord, you are the Savior. You're the Son of God. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. You are victorious over death and hell and the grave. You paid my debt for me. Thou shalt be saved. Take that verse and pray it before the Lord. Lord, your word says, if I will call upon you, and I'm, I'm asking you, you sent your son to die in my place, and I'm taking you at your word. I'm calling on you, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I confess, I tell you, that you are the Savior. And if I'm going to be saved, you'll have to save me. And I come just simply like that, pleading your word, would you save me today? Our Savior says, Come unto me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want you to go through your Bible and mark all those I wills. I will give you rest. You shall be saved. Those are the very assurances from the throne room of heaven today. I will give you rest. What is your part? Come. Come to Jesus. That's all you do. Look to Jesus. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Look to Je- Come unto me. Are, let me ask you, do you fall in this category, those of you who are not saved? Are you laboring under the weight of your sin? Brother Lamb, it, I see it every day. Every time I turn around, it smacks me in the face. The vestiges of my sin, the results of my sin, the, the, the circumstances of my sin. You're laboring under your sin, okay? So far, we've we got the right crowd. All you that labor and are heavy laden, is it crushing you the guilt of your sin? Can you stand to look at yourself in the mirror? When you lay your head on your pillow at night, you say, that's me, and I don't like who I am. This weight of sin is crushing me to the ground. Is that you? Well, good. I'm glad that you've met yourself. Now, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come. 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 I will give you Rest. That's Jesus Christ speaking. That's not this preacher. I'm just telling you what he said. You go to him with that promise and see if he won't save you. Let's go back 2,000 years, Calvary. Jesus hanging on the middle cross and there was a thief on either side. Capital offense. Guilty is charged. Robbery, no doubt. Killing. They were worthy of the death They admitted it, didn't they? Both of them. We deserve this death. They began cursing and saying, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you get out off that cross and help us off? If you're the Messiah, and so they knew gospel truth, didn't they? These were Jewish men. They knew about the Messiah because one of them will pray in a minute, Lord, Messiah, remember me. Somewhere along the way, they both started out cursing. Somewhere along the way, the one said, 
He is the Messiah. If I'm going to be saved, it'll be through him. And he reaches out in faith, couldn't do a thing. Couldn't wipe the sweat off his brow, the blood off his hands. He couldn't move. He might not have even could have looked physically over to Jesus the way he was circumstance, circum, the circumstances where he was placed. He looks by faith and says, Lord, remember me when you come into my king, your kingdom. And the Lord did, didn't he? What a gracious answer. That today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's why I can preach so boldly the gospel. If you'll repent and turn to Jesus Christ, he'll save. He saved that thief. If a thief can be saved who'd kill people, I can be saved, can't you? It doesn't matter what you've done. Lay your sins next to his. The Lord, through the, the Apostle Paul, told the Philippian jailer who saw, he beat him, himself. He, he himself beat Paul. And put him in prison at midnight. They were singing the earthquake. You know all the, 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 what took place. And he said after that, sir, what must I do to be saved? The Apostle Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now that is the word of God. You take that to the throne of grace. He will save you. As the old gospel song says, he will save you. Now come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy. For the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Let me tell you here, if you don't get anything else from this morning, I want to tell you something. You can take home and you ponder. God cannot lie. He cannot lie. He's the God of truth. And where he has spoken, where he's given a promise, he's duty bound by his own word to fulfill it. Find a clear promise of God in His Word that fits your situation and plead it day and night until the answer comes. Now, God's not through with Jacob. Jacob will wrestle with the Lord all night long in prayer. And we don't have time to deal with that part. He wrestles with him all night. And finally, the Lord says, What do you want? He asked him again. It almost sounds cruel of the Lord to, to ask Jacob, what, do you, what, do you, what is all this about? He's trying, Jacob, isn't he? Does Jacob really want the blessing of the Lord? Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. When's the last time you prayed like that? Jesus came to his disciples in Gethsemane. There they were all snoring darkest hour of his life in ministry and they were asleep and he said could you not wait and watch for me for one hour Jacob wrestled all night long and whether it was physically wrestling or the angel of the Lord came in a visible form this is a Christophany I believe an Old Testament appearance of Christ he talks with him back and forth back and forth back and forth and finally he says I will not let you go till you bless me now I want you to know that William J. said, God has the ability to do you good. So cannot God answer any prayer that you... He has the ability to answer your situation. Would you agree with that today? All right. God can do it. God has the ability to do us good. And then he says, God has the inclination to do you good. He wants to, to help you in your situation. If you're lost today, he wants to save you. If you're his child and you need his help, he wants to, to help you. God is under an engagement to do you good, he says. He's in a, a covenant with you to do you good. God has already done good by you, hasn't he? You're here today, aren't you? I don't care what you're under, what you face. You're here, hearing this word, this soul-saving, delivering word of God that's alive and is quick, alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. God answers Jacob, but do you know what? It's not in the way he expected. Not in the way he had planned. His plans, he outlines there in verses 13 through 33. And then we see in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled with a man. We find out who that was with him until the breaking of the day. And then look over in chapter 33. We'll just take a peek in verse 4. We have to settle this matter, don't we? You know that God can hear and answer prayer. But we love to, we love to see the answer, don't we? In our prayer meetings, we love to report what God has done. We love that part of it. Let's just peek and see what the answer is in, in verse 33, verse 4. And Esau ran to meet him 
and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Is God a prayer hearing God? Can God's people say amen? Does God care about Jacob? You and I might not would have. We'd probably said, I'm so fed up with Jacob, I don't know what to do with it. Everybody in this world may be fed up with you, but, but you're here, you're alive. God is here. His word is true. Has his word changed since the, the, this word was spoken thousands of years ago? It is the living, abiding word of God. What is your need? Now, if we put all of our resources together in this room right here, we wouldn't have much to show for it. But I want you to know the God of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has all resources at his disposal. He can change, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand. He can change it as rivers of water. Did he change Esau's heart? Aren't you glad we looked ahead and see what happened? I'm worried about Jacob until I read verse 4. I don't know what's out there ahead of you, but I do know this. It is appointed a man once to die and after this the judgment. I do know that. And that's the most important thing. Esau's will come and go, and we want to be right with every person. And you, you, the Lord may have used this message to help you go back and make some things right with someone, and that's important. But the most important thing in all the world is to be right with God. Right. How about your heart? Is it right with God? Only you can answer that. Then let me ask you this. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to take some man's word, or are you going to take God at his word? And take it to him by faith. Lord, you said if I would call on you, that I will be saved. I'm coming and I'm asking you to save me. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you told the Lord that? Maybe something else that you need from the Lord. He's not a genie in a bottle. Jacob is not manipulating God, is he? He's not naming it and claiming it. He's not doing anything that God hadn't already said he would do. He's going to the creator God of the universe. He says, now Lord... You're my God. I'm not worthy. You told me to go home. I've got to meet my brother. Would you help me? It's not that hard, is it? Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our Lord said, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? You told us that we ought always to pray and not to faint. Lord, I pray that in the stillness of this hour that you would, Break our pride, our self-righteousness, our wrong attitudes of you and of ourselves and of other people. We know that you must break us before you can bless us. And, And we pray that as you dealt with Jacob here and wrestled with him and you broke him, Lord, do what it takes to make us right with you. Do what it takes to... Put us in that place where you want us to be. Hear us, Lord. And I pray you'd meet the need of every heart. Oh, Lord, by your marvelous outstretched power and might, would you do what you alone can do? And I pray for that one who's not saved. May they take your word and plead the promise just now. Call on the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with confession is made unto salvation. Oh, would you go to him and tell him who he is. He's the God who saves. Tell him what he said he would do. Tell him your sin and ask him to save you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.